name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Okay, turn in your Bibles, everyone, to John chapter 21. And I don't know whether to be excited or sad this morning because today we're going to finish the Gospel of John, our study of the Gospel of John. Now, this is a journey that we divided in half. If you'll remember, we went through a good portion of John and then we, we, we took a detour and talked about the kingdom of God. We went and visited what God says about His kingdom. And then we've come back to John's Gospel. We were hoping to uh, coordinate it with the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, but that, of course, we still did that. We still did that, but not in person. We started this journey back in November of 2018, so it's just been not quite, uh, not quite over a year and three months, something like that, that we devoted to the book of the uh, Gospel of John. So you remember the theme of the Gospel, right, everyone? In, in John chapter 20, we said this is the theme of the book, and it's been, it's been our theme all along. And, it's, and I'll read it to you. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 says, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His, uh, in His name. So he wrote this book in order to, uh, to help people believe in the Lord Jesus. And he started it. You remember how he started it? He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he starts off this book by declaring that Jesus is God. And then all throughout his gospel, he's been defending that. He's been illustrating that. He's been uh, authenticating that by, by what he wrote. And one of the things that he said all along, one of the things he said all along was that Jesus is, I guess that's the wind you're talking about, huh, Michael? I can hear it myself. Is that too distracting? Is it too distracting? No, I can see some of you. It's not. It's okay? Okay, thanks. All right, I'm going to continue. All right, anyway, so he's authenticating that claim that Jesus is God, and he does it in a number of ways. One of the ways is by attributing to Jesus the I am statements of the Gospel of John. You remember that when Moses was up on the mountain and, and God says, I want you to go back and represent me, one of, the things that, um, one of the things that he asked God was, who do I say sent me? And God said, tell him I am. I am ascending you, the ever-present one, Yahweh. That's what Yahweh means in, in, uh, in Hebrew, it means I am. And so Jesus would make these I am claims all throughout the Gospel of John. For instance, John would record Jesus saying, as I am the bread of life, I am from God. He sent me. I am the light of the world. I am God. John, John 8, 58. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I'm the son of God. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. And so he'd record all these I am statements of Jesus, basically declaring that Jesus is Lord. And John would authenticate this claim with seven miracles in his book. You remember these? The turning of the water into wine, the healing of the nobleman's son, the healing of the sick man by the pool of Bethsaida, feeding 5,000, walking on water, healing the blind man in John 9, and then raising Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. And then, of course, ultimately, Jesus rising from the dead uh, himself. He recorded, John recorded for us in our journey, some of these major teachings of, uh, of Jesus. He was the bread of life, 
the vine analogy or the upper room discourse, which begins in John 13 and goes all the way through chapter 18. And in that upper room discourse, we, we learn about the new covenant that Jesus is making with his death. And then we also, in that upper room, we learn about the work of the Holy Spirit from Jesus. It's been quite a, quite a journey. Last Sunday, if you were here, if you listened to the live stream, we learned that Jesus restores Peter. And you remember how he did it? He takes him apart and he three times asks him, do you love me? And every time Peter would say, yes, I do, he would say, well, feed my sheep. And he's obviously drawing attention to Peter's failure. And again, like I said last week, it wasn't so much to drag Peter's face in the mud. It was to help Peter recognize that God still loved him, get Peter to reaffirm his love, and then get Peter to reaffirm what God was, uh, what God was calling him to do, which was to work in the kingdom. So we saw that last week. Well, I'd like to end the Gospel of John by going back to that exchange and seeing what Jesus said to Peter at the very end. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from John 21, verse 15 uh, to 25. It says, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? We don't know what the these are, by the way. Maybe he pointed to the fish. Maybe he pointed to the other disciples. But, but he said, do you love me more than these? And Jesus and, and, and John, I mean, Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my lambs. A second time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said. Uh, yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, Jesus told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you to where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate what, uh, by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told Peter, now listen, he said, Peter, follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. That would have been John, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one who's going to betray you? Again, that was John, the author of this gospel. Then Peter saw him and said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not tell him that he would not die. But if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? So at the end of the study, at the end of this episode between Peter and, and Jesus, what we have is we have Jesus kind of culminating it or tying the loose ends up. And he ties the loose ends up by saying this, Peter, follow me. When Peter, you know, looks at John and says, well, what about him? I love what Jesus says. Don't worry about John. Don't worry about anybody else. And this is what I want to say to all of us this morning. Don't worry about anybody else. Worry about yourself. Jesus says to Peter, worry about yourself. Peter, you follow me. Now, those people who thought that John was going to remain for, you know, until Jesus came back, they missed it by 2,000 years because, uh, because he didn't remain. Jesus' point to Peter is, Peter, you follow me. And I think that's a great statement. It's a great challenge for all of us as we end the Gospel of John is to follow, is to follow Jesus. But there's a per, an important question that comes out of this, I think anyway, and that would be this. What does it mean to follow Jesus? 
I mean, Jesus says to Peter twice here at the end of the book and twice at the end of this, this episode between them, he says, Peter, you follow me. And then again, Peter, what's John to you? You don't worry about John. You follow me. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do I follow? How does Peter follow Jesus? Well, before I answer that question, I, I want to make two I want, to, I want to make two essential truths from this statement. The first one is this. Following Jesus is the essence of being a disciple. I will say that again. Following Jesus is at the essence of what it means to be a disciple. They're one and the same. To follow Jesus is to be a disciple. I'm reading this book, and I've told you about it quite often here lately, but in the book, you know, the, the brother makes the, state, the case for being a disciple. A better term for that would be an apprentice. Be a learner. The word disciple means learner. So to be a learner of Jesus is to be one who follows him. And the second, the second truth that I want to establish from this statement is that whatever Jesus was asking Peter to do, that's what he's asking you to do. He's asking you to follow him, even as he asked Peter to follow him. Even though he said, don't worry about John, he would have been asking John to do the same thing. John, follow me. But the question is, the question is, what does that mean to me personally? And I shouldn't worry about, in, in, in essence, I shouldn't really worry about whether you follow Jesus. I, I've got to answer for myself. Am I going to follow Jesus myself? And you remember, he would say this to his, to his disciples all along. If any man wishes to come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. So, at the end of this exchange, Jesus says to Peter, I want you to follow me. And I'm asking the question this morning, what does that mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Because Jesus is getting ready to go back to heaven. He's not going to be there. What does he mean, Peter, follow me? What does he mean for you and me to follow him? So as I thought about that, I, I've distilled it down to what I believe. And again, this is Jimmy trying to interpret what Jesus meant. But um, I've distilled it down to, to the two things that Jesus thought were most important. And the two things that Jesus devoted his, his entire 33 years of walking the earth to, I, I, I'm going to suggest that these are the things, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Okay, so here they are. You, you may have already guessed them. But, but here are the two things that were most important to Jesus. One of them was to love God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, with all of his strength, with all of his being. To follow Jesus, I mean, to follow, or to, to follow Jesus would mean to follow what he thought was most important. And what he thought was most important was that he should love God with all of his being. And when he was asked that question, what's the most important thing for, for a person to do? He'd say, he said, love God. But then he followed up with it right away and he said, but I want to tell you the second thing as well. And the second thing is that we love people like we love ourselves, that we love others. And, and so here's, you know, if we're going to follow Jesus, I've got to prioritize what he prioritized. And so I'm distilling it down for us. To follow Jesus means to love God with all of our being. And it means to love people like we love ourselves. It means to love God and to love people. And, and I, I, find it, I find it hard us dividing, putting any kind of divide by, in those, between those two things. Really, to love God and to love people go hand in glove. They're, they're, I'm not going to say they're exactly one and the same, but, uh, but there's really, I think it's hard for us to divide between what it means to love God and to love people. But now having said that for us this morning, if you're tracking with me, I hope you are, 
Um, that's still kind of broad, isn't it? What does it mean to love God with all your heart? What does it mean to love other people? So if I could, I, I, want to, I want to go a layer deeper. And I want to tell you what it meant to Jesus to love God. And then I want to tell you what it meant to Jesus to love people. And when, I, when, when Jesus ca- challenges Peter to follow him, I think he's asking Peter to do these, these four things. And granted, I, we, we could go even layers and layers deeper but, but if I could distill those two things down, loving God and loving people, what do they look like? Here's what I believe it means to follow Jesus, okay? So let's start with loving God. What, what did Jesus do in loving God? Here's the first thing. Loving God meant that Jesus pursued after God. He pursued after God. He sought God. If you're taking notes on your little sheet, those are the blanks. He pursued after God and he sought God. Now, one of my favorite verses has become Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It really has transformed how I think about what it means to love God. But in Hebrews eleven six, 6, you know, the author of Hebrews tells us what faith is. He says, this is faith. He said, the one who comes to God, he, must, he cannot please God without faith because he must believe that God exists. He must believe that God exists. And then he, he must seek after God. He must quote the verse exactly. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for the one who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Okay? Those who seek him. So what did Jesus do? Jesus sought after God. So if you want to love God, you've got to seek God. If you don't seek God, you cannot please God. I don't care how much you come to church and do religious rituals. If you're not personally seeking God, you're not pleasing God. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, You will seek me and you'll find me. This is God speaking to his people. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Jesus pursued knowing God. He pursued having this relationship with God. And you ask me, how do I know that? I know that because the Bible on more than occasions, I'm not trying to turn my back to you, but I found it doesn't blow as much if I turn this way. Okay, there's not that roaring sound. So, so here's what Jesus did. It says, on numerous occasions, before anybody else got up, early in the morning, he would go and get away with God. And what was he doing? He was seeking after God, everyone. He was spending time with God. He was pursuing getting to know God. So when Jesus says to Peter and to John and to you and me, hey, follow me, what he's asking you to do is to love God with all your heart. And the way you do that is by pursuing God, pursuing knowing God, pursuing your relationship with God, pursuing having this intimacy with God by meeting with him and and, and spending time with him. After all these years, I'm still amazed to see Anne Start every day pursuing God. The first thing on her agenda, when, when that's not necessarily mine, the first thing on her agenda is always to pull aside with her Bible and meet and talk with God. I'm telling you, everyone, that's what it means to follow God. It means to carve out time out of your day where you spend time getting to know the Father and you seek Him. And you seek Him. You seek Him by talking with Him. You seek Him by letting Him talk to you through His, uh, through His Word and through His Spirit. You seek Him. The second thing that I think Jesus would say if He was distilling this down for us, 
and he was to say, hey, here's what it means to follow me, care about what I care about, here's what I care about most, loving God, loving people, here's how you love God. Number one, you seek him. Number two, you, you, you obey him. You obey him. Jesus did out of love, what he did out of love for God was obey God. He did what God desired for him to do. In John chapter 6, verse 38, it says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John chapter 14, verse 31, So that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly what the Father has commanded me to do. John 15, 10, this is again Jesus. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. To follow Jesus is to love God, and to love God is to obey the Father. Um, but, since, but since we're convinced that Jesus and the Father are one, can I say to all of us this morning, to obey God is to obey the teachings of Jesus, so that Jesus would say, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. This is John 8. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. One more time. If you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples. Listen, everyone. To love God is to obey God. To obey God is to obey what he's taught us in his word. But more specifically, even, it's to obey Jesus. It's to follow the teachings of Jesus. Since to be his disciples, to be his follower, we clearly need to obey him. Jesus so epitomized this in his life. Here's my challenge to us, and I, I make this challenge often. You've heard it before. But you remember, just days before this conversation between Peter and Jesus, just days before this, Jesus is in a garden late at night. He's about to be killed the next day. He's struggling in, in his will, not wanting to go forward with death, but he's willing to do it. You remember what he says at the end of, of every time of praying. He says, God, not my will be done, but yours be done. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to say to the Father, Father, I have this desire, I have this will, I really want this. But at the end of the day, what I'm, what I'm willing to do is I, I, I want to do your will. I want to follow your will. You know, a story that's always tugged at my heart, and uh, you know, I've shared this story with you before, and, and so most of you maybe remember it, or some of you may remember it. But anyway, Lottie Moon, who is the namesake for, for the Baptist Christmas offering, we named it after her. She spent her whole life in China as a missionary. But, but Lottie Moon was in love with a fellow by the name of uh, Crawford Toy. And Crawford Toy was a rising star in, in, in Baptist life. But somewhere along the line, she was in love with him, and, and I think they were even engaged to be married. But somewhere along the line, Crawford Toy uh, lost his commitment to Jesus, lost his commitment to the Word of God. And, uh, and at some point, Lottie Moon broke her engagement with Crawford Toy because, because of where Toy was going. In other words, and I guess this makes a big deal for me because I'm such a romantic at heart, but, but she gave up her love for, for Crawford out of obedience and faithfulness to Jesus. And she would later write, Toy would write her trying to get her to change her mind saying we can, we can get married and we can go to serve God in, in Japan, though she had felt called to China. And, and she resisted the temptation, and this is what she wrote. The temptation is great, but the professor, however, now espouses theories that do not square with God's word. My cross 
is loneliness. And out of her obedience to Jesus, not that she necessarily knew that she was choosing loneliness for her whole life, but she or choosing singleness for her whole life, but she in her mind, she was saying no to whom she loved in order to follow Jesus. And I'm telling you, everyone, this, this is what Jesus desires of us. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It means to say no to the desires I have and to follow his will for my life. Jesus asks big things from us. I want to say it again. Jesus asks big things from us. This, this is not a side thing for us, everyone. This is at the core of who we are as followers of Jesus. We follow Jesus and we're willing to deny ourselves in order to follow him. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what he's asking all of us to do, whether you're at home or whether you're here in a car. That's what he's asking us to do, to choose him over our will. Now, I said there was two things that exemplified Jesus' life, loving God and loving people. So again, I hope you're tracking with me. I'm trying to distill it down. To follow Jesus means to pursue knowing God and having a relationship with Him, and it means obeying God. Now I want to turn to the second half of that equation, which is to love people. And I want to tell you how Jesus did that. Here's how Jesus loved people. Jesus loved people by meeting their needs. By meeting their needs. When John the Baptist was in prison, he was, uh, you know, uh, I guess beginning to doubt that maybe Jesus really was the Messiah because he wasn't freeing him from prison. So he sends some friends to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really him? And so in Luke chapter 7, verse 21, it says, In that time Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. And he replied to them, that is the people who came from John, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Now here's the point I think that Jesus was making. Everywhere I go, I meet the needs of people around me. I meet their, I meet their physical needs. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. The needs of the heart, the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery, remember them? He healed the needs of their heart. He healed the broken heart of Jairus by raising his daughter from the dead. Now, I need to say to you and me who follow Jesus that we may cannot meet needs exactly how Jesus did, but I'm telling you, we can meet needs too. And if you're going to follow Jesus... Listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, it means loving people. And if you're going to love people, it means meeting their needs, meeting their needs. So here's what we can do, everyone. I, I maybe can't heal the blind or raise the dead, but I can meet people's heart needs that are lonely. I, I can be a friend to them. I can meet emotional needs for folks by being a listening ear. And I, listen, and I can be one who meets the physical needs of others by sharing my bread and sheltering the homeless and covering the naked. I can do what God has asked me to do, or I can do what it means to love people. I can meet their needs. A very insightful passage is Matthew 25. It's quoted a lot because of its judgment you know, it's judgment at the end. But I want to quote it to you for another reason. In Matthew 25, at the end of the gospel, I mean, at the end of the chapter, here's what we read. 
Jesus is giving them this story, this parable. He says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels are with Him, and when He sits on His glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. And I was in prison, and you visited me. Now listen. And then the righteous will say or answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger or take you in or without clothes and put clothes on you? When did we see you in sick or in prison and visit you? And, and the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whenever you did it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Now did you notice this? Did you notice this? People who pleased the Lord, they were the people who were investing in helping others. That's what Jesus says. He judged them on the basis of their meeting the needs of others and helping and serving others. And did you notice this? They're not doing it for brownie points with God. Did you, did you see that? When, when Jesus said, hey, enter into my Father's kingdom because of all these things you've done, they were like, hey, when did we do any of that? We don't know what you're talking about. They're not, they're not serving the needs of others so that they can somehow win God's approval, they don't even recognize the relationship between serving and loving people and what that means to God. They don't even see the relationship. And he says, when you've done it for them, you did it, you did it for me. Listen, don't miss my point. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, follow me. Don't worry about John. Don't worry about anybody else. You follow me. How do we follow Jesus? By loving people because that's what he did. Then what did he do? He met the needs of others. And what does he expect of you as you follow him? To care about people and meet their needs. William Booth, when he died, 150,000 people walked by his casket. There were 40,000 people at his funeral, including Queen Mary. And that's pretty remarkable for a man who was born in poverty. You may not even know who William Booth is, but when I tell you what he founded, you'll know who he is. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. He, was, he would be given the title, the Prophet of the Poor. And when he was 15 years old, and listen, this ought to tell us something about our youth, everyone. When he was 15 years old, he was invited by some Wesleyan couple to attend a, like a revival meeting, and he was converted, and he left that place. And this is what he wrote in his diary. He said, God shall have all there is of William Booth. Man, we should all write that in our diary and mean it, right? God shall have all of Jimmy Acre, and I confess he doesn't. God shall have all of William Booth. That's, we should be able to write that in our own journals. In, in the front flyleaf of your Bible, you ought to be able to write, God shall have all of, and put your name there, all of me. But anyway, he was true to that commitment, and he later heard God call him to invest his life in reaching people, and he had a heart to meet the needs of people. He was single-minded in his zeal to help people. Now listen to what, it's, what William Booth wrote once. He said, and I quote, while women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, 
where there are enemies, or where there remains one dark soul without a, the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. And listen, everyone, that I know of, William Booth never fabricated food out of nothing like Jesus did. He never raised the dead that I know of, and I don't believe he could lay his hands on anyone and heal them. But he spent his whole entire life meeting the needs of others. And I'm not trying to say this morning that we need to be exactly like William Booth. But I tell you, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to have William Booth's heart to meet the needs of others. I know I'm getting a little bit long-winded for you sitting in your cars, but I imagine it's kind of warm there except for y'all who ventured out to sit in the back of your trucks. But, so, but let me just tell you one more thing. In Isaiah 58... The people of Israel are fasting food. They're doing this religious ritual of fasting food, but they know that God is not hearing. And they just know it. And they said, God, we don't get it. We don't get it. How come we're fasting and you're not listening? You're not hearing us. And, and God says this to them. He says, you think I'm impressed with your fasting food when you are abusing people all around you? Do you think I care about your fasting food when, when you're not caring about your workers or you're not, you're not caring for people who have need all around? you think I care about that? And this is what he says to them, Isaiah 58, verse 6. Just listen. Here is the way I want you to fast. This is what God says to them. Set free those who are held by chains without any reason. Untie the ropes that hold people as slaves. Set free those who are crushed. Break every evil chain. Share your food with the hungry people. Provide homeless people with a place to stay. Give naked people clothes to wear. Provide for the needs of your own family. So when Jesus told Peter, follow me, I think he was saying, Peter, love people like I have and spend your life meeting their needs. And of course, can I just say this, kind of a tangential note? but of, of absolute importance. The greatest need that Jesus met is our need to live again after death. Because, you know, death is the wages of sin. We die. We die because of our sin. Yet Jesus died himself so that you and I would be able to live again. I, I don't know about you guys, but that's the greatest need Jesus met for each and every one of us. We should meet needs as well. And then my final thing, in loving people, Jesus did one more thing, I think. And it was that Jesus, listen, he lived simply so that he could live generously. If you're filling in your notes, I have the two words there. He lived simply so that he could live generously. And I've mentioned several times lately, and I've already alluded to it in this talk this morning, but a book that has really transformed my thinking and has just has made me want to be live differently has been this book by John Comer. Uh, and, and he basically challenges us not just to live the commands of Jesus, but to pattern our lives after the rhythms of Jesus' life. Those are, actually, those are not his words. He's quoting someone else. But I love that statement. Patterning my, pattern, pattern, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. To pattern my life after the rhythms of Jesus' life. And, and one of the things that, that I would like to encourage us, and what, this is what I think it means to follow Jesus, if I'm going to follow him and pattern my life after his, it would be to live simply so that I could invest my life and my work in the kingdom of God and people all around me. Now, I'm not going to advocate this morning that you emulate Jesus exactly because 
none of us that I know of listening to my voice, whether on live stream or here in the parking lot this morning, none of us, none of us are itinerant evangelists. None of us are itinerant preachers, okay? So I'm not saying that we need to emulate Jesus' life exactly, but, but I do want to challenge us to emulate the, the overarching theme of his life, which I think is really, really clear, and that is that we should not live for this life, but we should live simply and store up treasures for the kingdom that's coming. Here's one thing that Jesus said pretty clearly. He said, don't store up treasures here where stuff corrupts, but to store up treasure with him in heaven for the days of the coming kingdom. He told us to watch out and to be on guard against all kinds of greed because life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. He told us not to worry about what to eat or drink or to wear because life is more than food and clothes. And life is more than all the amenities that we like to add to our lives. Instead, he said this, seek first the kingdom of God. And I think what he means by that is live simply so that you can do just that. Seek the kingdom of God. He told us, give, good measure, press down, give abundantly. If you love others, you won't live for yourself. You're going to live an others-focused heart. It means you're going to live to bless. It means you're going to live to give. It means you're going to live to care. It means you're going to live to serve others. Remember what Jesus said to us? He said, I didn't come to be served. I mean, the, the Son of God. God become a creature. God become like us. He says, I didn't come here to take up this great lofty throne position. At least now he's not. He came to serve us. And he came to serve us by being poor and, and, and humble and lay, laying down his life for us so that we could have an abundance of life now, abundance of life now, and we could have everlasting life to come. And yes, you heard me right. You can live forever. We can live forever because Jesus is giving us his eternal, his eternal life. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I didn't come to take up the throne just yet. I've come to lay down my life as a ransom for all of you. Everyone listening to me, Jesus came to lay down his life as a ransom for us. I mean, I, I hope you get how big this is, but on the night that Jesus, that, that final night, you know, with his disciples before the crucifixion the next day, you remember him washing his disciples' feet. We talk about this often, but that was so big, everyone, for Jesus to just lower himself and say, hey, I'm going to take the most humble job here and wash your feet. And then he said, hey, this is what I want of you. I want you to see what I've done. You call me master. Now do what I've done. Follow me. Be a servant. Be a servant. Live simply so you can serve others and live generously. My point is that Jesus loved people by intentionally valuing them over the material things of this world. I'm going to say it again. Jesus valued people. And this is what I, this is what I think it means to follow him. It means to value people over the material things of this world and to live intentionally to promote that which I value the most. And hopefully what you value the most is people, that you value others, meeting their needs, caring for them, so that they can live you know, with abundance of joy and have their needs met. You know, we don't need a lot, everyone. We just need clothes and shelter and food. That's really all we ultimately need. 
And so we need to learn to live valuing people and remove all these other things that are a distraction to us. Choose to leverage your resources, your time, your money, your talents, your possessions towards that which matters most to God and, and hopefully for us, and that would be people. I'm almost finished. Hang in there with me. Hang in there with me. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says, and this is Paul writing to, to uh, Timothy, but it's for all of us. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world uh, that they would not be arrogant nor put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think that's, that's written for Bill Gates, right? It's written for Warren Buffett. It's written for everybody else that's so much richer than me, not for me. And again, I, I hope you all understand where I'm coming from this morning, because I'm not, I'm not against us having wealth. But, you know, if you make more than $25,000, statistically, you're in the top, top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you make over 35000 they say that we're in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. And I have a feeling that's probably everybody listening to me, or just about everybody listening to me. Can I say we're, the, we're in the top 10 richest people of the world? And I know you say, look, but, but I don't see them. I don't see that other 90%. That's not where we are. I, I get that. I, I totally get it. But the thing that I want you to see this morning is 1 Timothy 6, 17, and 18 it's for me, and it's for you. It's not for somebody else. I'll read it again. Command those who are rich in the present world, that's us, not to be arrogant or to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. I mean, you know, that I know of, very few people in our church family have been affected by the shutdown. But what, what, are the, what, what we've gone for, 220,000 people without a job? I just remembered that I'm not right about that. It, it has affected people in our church. But 220,000 people have gone from the unemployment route to almost 30 million people in this short amount of time. And, and so people have lost their jobs. They've lost their income. And, and so here it says, if I'm rich, I am to not put my hope in the uncertainty of wealth. But and he says, command them. I command you. I command you in the name of Jesus. Listen, do good with your riches. Do good deeds and be generous and be willing to share. No, no guilt in being rich. Just use our, use our prosperity to meet the needs, to care about others, to live simply so others can, can live. Now here's my practical application, and I appreciate all of you that have taken me up on this, and I've said it already. Forgive me for repeating myself, but I encourage you to get John Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, because I tell you, no book that I've read in the last few years has so challenged my heart to be different. Now, if Ann came up here and gave a testimony, she'd say, well, he's not being very successful at it, and I want to own that. That's true. But I tell you, my heart has been changed, and I want to be different. I want to be different. I want to follow Jesus the way Jesus wants me to follow him, loving God and loving people pursuing God and being faithful to God and as far as others are concerned seeking to meet their needs and to live simply so that I might be a vessel and a channel uh, if you would a conduit of grace and goodness to others who are not as fortunate and not as blessed as me.
So that's the end of my talk this morning. So I want to end with this. I want to end with a with a request for all of you, whether you're on live stream watching us from somewhere else or whether you're here this morning in the parking lot. Here it is. On behalf of Jesus, I want to ask you, will you follow him? And, and following Jesus, listen, this is I'm not asking you to just do little ritual things. I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you to give your life to follow Jesus. If any man wishes to come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. I mean, if Jesus really is Lord, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, everyone, he has the right to say to every one of us today, come on, lay down your life and come and follow me because I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to give your life back to you, and I'm going to give it to you in, 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 in prosperity. And by that, I don't mean that you're going to be rich like the prosperity preachers are preaching. I'm talking about you're going to be rich in relationships, and you're going to be rich in joy, and you're going to be rich in abundance, and you're going to have everything that God desired for us from the very beginning. And most importantly, you're going to have each other forever, and you're going to have Jesus as king over us. What a day, what a day that's going to be. I want to ask you this morning, will you follow Jesus? Will you follow Jesus? Will you give your life to him? John ends his book. If you have your Bibles open still, look at the very last two verses. John ends his book. He says, this is the disciple who testifies, who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Now, obviously, that's, a, that's, an, that's hyperbole on John's part. But his point is the same. I've written just a little bit that you might believe in Jesus. I've written just a little bit. There is so much more that can and should convince you to follow Jesus. This is one more attempt on John's part to say, Everything I've said is that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that you might follow him. So one more time I ask you this morning, will you follow Jesus? For those of you that are already following, will you renew your heart to follow him this morning? And by that I'm challenging you to love God, to pursue God and to obey God and to love others, to meet their needs and then to live in such a way that you become the greatest channel of God's goodness to others that you can be. I'd like to ask you to reaffirm that commitment or maybe to embrace that commitment as far as following Jesus. So would you bow your heads? You're here in the car or at home. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? And uh, I know this is so awkward. I mean, I can't see you. You can't see anyone else. But this is a moment between you and God. And would you just, I don't know, talk to God. I'm going to give you just a, less than a minute to just tell God how you feel about what God, by His Spirit, may have been saying to you. Maybe you need to say to Jesus, I will follow you. Maybe you need to say to Jesus, Jesus, I need to kind of hone my following and I need, I need to follow you more closely. Whatever it is, would you just talk to God for just a, just a short bit here? Hear our prayers this morning, and God, we just thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for 
for all that you did, for all that you do by your spirit today to give us abundant life. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us your spirit to lead us and to help us follow you. And Lord, we want to, we want to follow you even as Peter followed you unto death and Paul and all the early disciples laid down their lives for you. We want to lay down our lives for you. Lord, I, I don't necessarily mean in death, but if, that, if that's what it calls for, I, we want to say we're, we're there, we're willing. Lord, but we really want to say we want to lay down our lives day by day, moment by moment in following you. Use us for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.